Welcome to a special edition of the Underground Bunker Podcast. I'm Tony Ortega, and I'm currently covering the Danny Masterson trial in Los Angeles. Yesterday was the first day of testimony in the case, and it featured the alleged victim known as Jane Doe 1. Her testimony, particularly about Scientology concepts that helped define her social scene, caused quite an interruption to the case as defense attorney Philip Cohen moved for a mistrial, which was denied, and Judge Charlene Omedo dressed down prosecutor Reinhold Mueller for introducing too much Scientology too fast. It was one phrase that Jane Doe 1 used, referring to fraternizing, that seemed to set off Cohen the most. And so we wanted to talk to someone about that phrase and where Jane Doe 1 came up with it. Was it really as unusual in Scientology as Philip Cohen seems to think it is? To help us out, we talked late last night with former Sea Org member and author Chris Shelton. Chris Shelton, thank you so much for coming on in such short notice. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, any opportunity to expose the nonsense. <laughs> well, there was some there was some real nonsense in court today. Qu- quite a day in court today. Uh, it was all happening so fast. They seated a jury in the morning. The uh, opening statements happened, and they even had time to put on their first witness, the prosecution, and that was Jane Doe 1. Um, yeah, amazing. And, and uh, you know, so the interesting thing about Jane Doe 1 is that, yeah, she, she's alleged that Danny Madison raped her in April 2003. But before they want to get there, they want to explain this previous uh, incident that happened in 2002 with Danny. And... And before explaining that, Mueller wants to set up who she is, how she knows these people, how she got into Scientology, when she, you know, she joined the Sea Org at 14 years old. This should all sound very familiar to our, you know, listeners and readers. Mm-hmm. And um, and then that, uh, you know, she was part of this social environment. Now, she joined Sea Org at 14, but she, I don't think she was Sea Org when this other stuff was going on. Uh, a few years later when she was in her early 20s, I think. No, it certainly didn't sound like a Sea Org member. Mid-20s. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about was one of the things she testified to was that, so by the time she's 26, 27, she's best friends with this Brie Schaefer and um, Brie is Danny's assistant. Mm -hmm. But then also... um, there's this Luke Watson that's close to both of them, and she's and Luke is living boarding with Lisa Marie Presley, who he used to date, and they're all really mm-hmm. close. And she described this very tight knit group. She dropped some other names like Paige Dorian, who I think was Lisa Marie's assistant. So Hollywood, young Hollywood types, all Scientologists, and that was interesting. And I, so I wanted to ask you, is it unusual for Scientologists, even if they're not Sea Org, even if they're just publics or celebrity center people, is it unusual for a Scientologist, especially one who's grown up in it, like Jane Doe 1 did, to then basically surround themselves so that virtually all their friends are Scientologists? Oh, no, that's not unusual at all. And in fact, uh, we were often dealing with situations, <laughs> quote unquote, that would come up with public Scientologists or public Scientologist kids who would hang out together, party together, get into trouble together, and then would all end up, you know, in one fashion or another, getting 
correction or you know ethics attention uh, from the church because of their you know uh, misconduct. So yeah, that was a that that happened all the time. Right, and so and her family was was uh, you know part of this, and she's re- often referring to her parents in these in this testimony. So um, then the thing that really set off both uh, Philip Cohen, the defense attorney, and Judge Omedo, this surprised me, was that, you know, Judge Omedo had ruled back uh, a couple of weeks ago that, yes, you can have Scientology in the trial, but it's very limited. It's just to help explain why these women took so long to report. But as Mueller was uh, questioning Jane Doe, one today and he's just trying it seemed to me he was just trying to set up the situation so people could understand and that situation they were all scientologists and they had certain scientology you know know, sort of practices and and thoughts Mm -hmm. and um this got to be too much for them like this is too much scientology i I remember thinking well you want to understand their situation right and i i guess maybe that's the other thing chris is that um, not only are they, you know, do Scientologists tend to hang out with each other, but this really takes over your way of thinking and your way of interacting with other people, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's not like we even have to point fingers at Scientology here as something, you know, Scientology is nefarious enough as it is. I mean, I'm not trying to imply it's not, but almost any religious congregation or group of kids growing up together in a in a religious setting are going to feel bonded on those religious ties and on the morals and on the group you know thing and and this and they're going to act a certain way according to those principles that they were all raised with or at least they'll be having that expectation of behavior expectation of belief and you know this the loyalty and the you know the group thing it draws them closer together so this isn't anything unusual for scientologists which makes me you know think well it's so funny that that the defense is being so sensitive on this point when it's really easy to understand it is easy to understand and and the things the two things that uh really set there were two things that really set them off let's the first one's easy for us to deal with and that is um cohen really did was unhappy or did not like the fact that she had used the word wogs and that and that it was explained Mm -hmm. that this is what the the word that scientologists call non-scientologists of course we're all very familiar with that it it's it is actually a word that has a racist british english um origin and yep. that Hubbard liked, for whatever reason, to refer to uh, non-Scientologists. And it's it's very common. I hear Scientologists, I even hear ex-Scientologists use it all the time. It's just, you know, what you call non-Scientologists. But here's the thing, and I pointed this out in my video this afternoon, the last, yesterday afternoon, was that um, that word has come up in this case before without a problem. In the preliminary hearing... One of the women, one of the women used the word and Judge Olmedo said, hang on, what does that mean? And they explained it to her and Judge Olmedo cracked a little smile and said, so it's sort of the Scientologist version of muggle, right? 
That is literally what I was about to say. (laughs) Because that is exactly how I used to explain it when I was in Scientology. Yes. So so like in the Harry Potter books, the the wizards, there's the wizards and then there's the muggles, the people that that don't have any magic. And so... That is very much the concept here that you've got the Scientologists who are all superior human beings and then us poor wogs that are are like the muggles. Exactly. So that came up in this case last year. Judge Omedo herself referred to it and there was no problem. But for some reason today, Cohen was irate about the use of the word wog. He felt that it prejudiced the case against his client. I'm not sure how. And, And Omedo seemed open to it. But that, so that was odd. But then the other thing this is what I want to talk to you about because the other thing seemed really important too. And I had some people asking me, where does that come from? Jane Doe one uh, said something about how, you know, Mueller had asked her, so why was it such an insular group? Why, why was everybody in the group Scientologists? And she said that there was literally, you know, a policy in Scientology about not fraternizing with the enemy. Uh, Mm -hmm. and this really set off Cohen and he was objecting and and, and Judge Almeida was unhappy that he was objecting because she felt obliged anytime one of these objections came up to then read an admonition to the jury to say, I want to remind you, any discussion of Scientology is not to the truth of it. In other words, there's going to be no examination of which policy means what in Scientology that don't want to get into the scripture, but simply to help understand the state of mind of these women. And she just, she really didn't like doing that. And so she uh, asked the jury to leave a little early and then she just got into it with these attorneys. And um, I have a feeling that if, you know, I wanted to look up the specific reference on that. And I very quickly found that you had referred to it in your book. Um, uh, Scientology A to Z new wonderful book and um, you had referred to it in there and so I thought I'd call you up and we'll talk about it and I, I know what Judge Almeida would say she would say Tony it doesn't matter if it's real or not it doesn't matter if you can cite where it comes from you know that she has to put certain limits in the trial and I understand that I'm not I'm not trying to question what Judge Almeida did today but I just thought, you know, as, as long as Cohen is going to make an issue of it and go kind of ape shit over J- Jane Doe 1 saying this, I thought it would at least be worth a few minutes talking over with, uh, you know, Scientologists, ex-Scientologists such as yourself, where that's coming from. That Jane Doe 1 didn't just pull that out of the air. Can you, can you help us understand what she was referring to in testimony when she talked about how her friends tended to stay among themselves and not with non-Scientologists because of Scientology's frater- no fraternizing with the enemy concept. Absolutely. And this was something that hit the Sea Org uh, in the late 90s. I, I believe it was 1997. Uh, I, you know, maybe off by a year or two, but somewhere in that time period we were hit with this concept very hard on the base. And this is the the, the Pacific base, the, the blue buildings in Los Angeles. That's where I worked for 17 years. And so I got there in 1995. And within a couple of years, this, this clampdown happened on what were called external influences. And this was a label that was applied to 
you know, too much communication going from internally from inside the Sea Org to people outside the Sea Org, whether it was family, friends, even uh, business contacts or, or contractors or people who we were even friendly with, um, telling them too much, you know, uh, spreading too much news about uh, about the what was going on inside and uh, ruining shore relations, you know, this kind of concept if we were on a ship, you know, and you had the shore. So, so this idea of clamp it down, you do not communicate with your family, with your friends, even if you have a day off, you don't just let your hair down and say whatever the hell you want. You need to control yourself and you need to keep a lid on anything having to do with your Sea Org activities. It's none of their business. And, um, and since your entire life, let's be clear, this wasn't like a nine to five job. <laughs> your entire life is the Sea Org. So when they're clamping down on Sea Org business, that means pretty much you ain't talking about much of anything going on with yourself uh, because your entire life is the Sea Org. And this very easily translates out to the public who receive this as a sort of, you know, things roll downhill kind of thing. It all starts at the top and moves its way down. So this even gets out into the public where fraternizing or, you know, this business of being too close with the wogs. And I, and I know that's an offensive term, but that's the word they use. As we just went over, this is, this is the thing. It's, it's an us versus them. This is, a, this is a calculated thing in this group to create that there's them and there's us, and we're the good guys, and we're the knowledgeable people, and we're the ones who have our, you know, everything together, and they're the bad guys out there, and we, we need to not get too close to those people until they become, you know, one of us, and that's the attitude, and it's a culture, and it's enforced, and uh, it's emphasized in groups like Scientology, and it's, you know, it is definitely one of the reasons why they are a destructive cult. And, and this was, as far as you know, as you said, it, it was a, a, maybe a pack order for the Sea Org, but it would have translated to, and you say publics, in Scientology, for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, there are people who work in the Sea Org, which is the most hardcore inner group and requires a billion-year contract. Then there are people who work on staff um, who operate the local facilities and sign two and a half or five year contracts. And then there are Scientologists who are known as publics. And these are people who are Scientologists and they do the courses and the, and the counseling, but they don't actually work for the church. And it, so that's the largest group and they're called publics. So that's what you're referring to there. And you're saying that even though this was a Sea Org rule, it would have translated to those publics. Well, we saw it do so. I mean, she literally said those exact words. I mean, it's you know, it's an it's an odd word, fraternizing. Who who uses that word? Well, Scientology does. And the, where did I first hear it? In the Sea Org. And yet here it is coming out of her lips, and I'm thinking, well, where did that come from? Same time period, literally the same city. You know, these things roll out, and we would see this time and again with standards and morals and, you know, various cultural things within the world of Scientology that it would, might start or emanate from the Sea Org. Oh, and I'll tell you another thing that is um, much more obvious, the conspiracy theories in Scientology. Those all originated in the Sea Org and rolled out to the public, and now they're so into it that 
you know, they're anti-vax for the most part and, and anti-this and anti-that. That all came out of the Sea Org. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, Scientology, and, and also another interesting thing about Jane Doe 1, she was brought up in Scientology. She's a second-generation Scientologist. And, you know, one of the things I've heard from so many Scientologists is when you grow up in it, you are you are taught from a very young age to admire the Sea Org, to consider the Sea Org to be a special cut of human being, and they're dedicating their lives to this thing, and you're supposed to look up to them, right? Correct. L. Ron Hubbard specifically said that the Sea Org are the VIPs of Scientology, and they are to be lionized wherever they go. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, she's—I mean—so this is something that she didn't just pull out of the air. This is something that Jane Doe one. She's talking about something that another Scientologist would be clearly familiar with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if she was in or around the Sea Org. Um, and as a second generation Scientologist growing up in Los Angeles, I can tell you, you know, having been on that Sea Org base for 17 years and having grown up in Scientology myself in Pasadena, California, same area, it's a tight culture. It's a tight community. Everybody's friends with everybody else. And that's who you socialize with. And that's who you grow up with. And that's who you're friends with. And that's it's again it's not unusual it's 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 literally what sociologists call a religious community you know this is this is nothing unusual and for the defense to be making such a thing about it is itself almost prejudicing the case you know what i mean well that's interesting because it, it i i judge Almeida, she's like i said today i was a little i i didn't understand a little bit of what she was saying where she was coming from today but she had another one of those amazing comebacks because Cohen was trying to exp- – Cohen was asking for a mistrial, okay? Mm-hmm. He was saying, look, just saying this in front just, – just Jane Doe one saying in front of the jury that Scientologists consider themselves superior, look down on WOGs, non-Scientologists, and try to keep themselves separate – just saying those things about Scientology in front of the jury ruins the whole trial and that, you know, you're saying something about Scientology that's so awful. And Judge Omedo said, you know, Scientology is not the only religion that would feel that way. And it was just <laughs> so great. You know, it's like, yeah. you, know, you know, he's trying to make it sound like, you know, <sighs> Scientology's feelings are hurt or something. And it, it's just... I don't know. Crazy. Well, I you know, let me, if I might ask you something that just yeah. occurred to me when I was finished reading your reporting today, is I, I have to wonder, and this is pure speculation, but could it be that these people are having to, in one fashion or another, answer to Miscavige on some of this? Well, see, this was this is a great question because um, there, Cohen has said outright numerous times that he is not going to do what Mesro did. He doesn't use Mesro's name, but he'll say, mm-hmm. you know, the defense team before did this, but we're not going to. He says it. what happened was last year as Mesro was, you know, Mesro kind of specializes. We're talking about Tom Mesro, famous defense lawyer, represented Michael mm-hmm. Jackson, Robert Blake. And 
Tom is really top of the top. I've been told. I mean, like there isn't somebody above him to get defense for this. Well, he's he's certainly the most like visible and, and well known, and 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 he gave a long interview just a year and a half ago or so where he explained that his real specialty is the prelim. It's in the it's in the prelim, the preliminary hearing where you have some testimony to convince the judge. There's no jury. Convince the judge that there's enough evidence to have a trial, and of course, if you can head a case off at that point, you know it's it's you 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 don't have to go through the expense of a trial and then the you know the the sort of risks of a trial, and so Tom Mesro's specialty, he said, was the prelim, and I think that's he really thought that he would be able to derail this case at that point. However, he was doing some things I noticed that were really odd. And then they did a couple things. There was the infamous ethics book thing in the preliminary yeah. hearing where I I witnessed this. They were sitting literally about six feet in front of me. <laughs> Mesro and Podbereski, who is Scientology's creature, Vicky Podbereski, she's this attorney's work for Scientology forever. And they had the ethics book between them. And she was saying to him, it's not in there. It's not in there. And then he then turned, uh, Mesro then turned to Jane Doe 3, who was on the stand at the time. He's cross-examining her. She had testified that the reason she didn't go to the police was that as Scientologist, you're not supposed to. That's right. And that there's a rule against it. And so he then gave her the ethics book and said, would you look up chapter four, whatever chapter it was, Will you look through there and we'll come back after lunch and you tell me if you can find that in there. So they went to lunch or the break or whatever it was and it came back or it might have been the next day. I can't remember now. And he said to her, is it in there? And she said, no. Right. And I was like, wow, this was all prompted by Pod Bereski. And if Pod Bereski's telling Tim Mesro to do that, you know, it's David Miscavige, the leader of Scientology, telling Vin- Vicky Pod Bereski, to tell Mesro to do that. Well, yeah. it, it spectacularly blew up in their faces because then when it was Mueller's turn, he took out the exact same book, turned to a different chapter, yeah. and asked her to read a line which very clearly says that you cannot turn in a fellow Scientologist to civil authorities. Exactly. Which, of, which of course, includes the police. And mm-hmm. it, it was just... It was a beautiful moment. And then and then the coup de grace, Mueller then walked over to Mesro, handed the book and said, thank you. It's been very helpful. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was chef's kiss. It was incredible. And it's been reverberating ever since then. I mean, it's been, you know, not then they then they did this terrible and stupid thing where Mesro tried to subpoena me and, and everybody else in the case. And when when uh, Judge Judge Almeida saw the subpoena, she realized they weren't asking for material for Danny Masterson's criminal trial. They mm-hmm. were asking for material that would help Scientology in the civil case. Mm-hmm. And she told them, "You can't use my court my court subpoena power to gather information for Scientology." She was so angry about that. So anyway, the reason I'm telling you all this it was <laughs> it was very clear. It was just absolutely obvious that Tom Mesro and Sharon Applebaum or one or the other were taking directions from David Miscavige. Bingo. 
Bingo. So now, now they fired them. They've got Philip Cohen and Karen Goldstein. I don't know what happened to Sean Hawley. I don't know what's going on with her. But mm. now they've got Philip Cohen and Karen Goldstein. And, and Cohen numerous times has said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And now it's kind of the opposite where uh, Cohen is going out of his way to try to get any mention of Scientology out of this trial. And he's fighting any mention of Scientology. And numerous people have asked me, now, is that really that they realize that was a mistake and they're not going to listen to Miscavige? Or is this Miscavige's new strategy? Well, and that's what I was just thinking, is I think Miscavige realized his mistake too late and got pie on his face just like Mizero did. And was like, oh, God, what I now have to do is damage control and keep this out of here. Any mention of it at all and, you know, you guys are going to be for it kind of thing is kind of what I would imagine could have occurred there. Well, and I think also strengthening that concept is that um, they, after the ethics book debacle, Judge Olmedo then actually used Scientology in her ruling to, to bound uh, Miscavige over for trial at the end of the preliminary hearing. And she said that she had found the three women credible enough to have a trial. And it was literally in a ruling. And that Scientology's policies helped explain why they hadn't come through, come forward sooner. So, yep. so, so that was her ruling last year. Scientology went crazy. I mean, they, 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 They've, you know, they, ha you know, Chris, they have these religious shills, the, the so quote unquote interfaith, you know, efforts. And so these various Los Angeles ministers got together and put out this letter about how Judge Almeida was was trampling on Scientology's religious rights and all this garbage. They oh, yeah. were livid about the fact that Scientology was literally part of the ruling to put a rapist on trial. And so now I think if Cohen and Goldstein are taking orders from Miscavige, and I don't, I don't know that it's the case now, but if they are, then it's Miscavige realizing what a mistake it was before. And now he's saying, okay, before we tried to use a little bit of Scientology in there, it didn't work. Now get Scientology out. Exactly. And, and because clearly they thought at the beginning there, from what you described, that they had the Scientology and Misero thought they had a gotcha. Yes. Oh, show us it, show us where it is in here. Oh, it's not there. Boom, case closed, mic drop, we're done. Yes. And they didn't expect the whole thing was gonna go in there and it was gonna get turned around on them. So I, 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 I it's easy to imagine, I think, that this might be the case here. Cause I can't, it's harder for me to imagine that somehow Miscavige accepts that he has no say in this. Yeah. And backs off. I, that's not his character to do that. So it's easier for me to believe it. It's going that way. Right. And so, you know, Judge Almeida has ruled that a limited amount of Scientology can come in. But today, apparently, you know, Mueller um, went too far and uh, she was unhappy about it. And, you know, I understand where she's coming from, but, you know, as you and I have talked about today, these are just very basic concepts about right. what, it, what it's like to be a Scientologist. And I guess that's what 
people don't under, you know some people don't understand is that Scientology is such a totalitarian system that takes over your entire life. Oh yes, it's totalism, and that's why we call it that. It's the it's it's a total. It, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's a total takeover of your life. There is no part of your life that is not touched by your Scientology beliefs, dogma, or you know uh, instructions. And in this case, uh, the theory is that a sexual predator took advantage of that to prey on women, not some Scientologists, some not. And that Scientology's uh, um, policies of treating a celebrity, of telling victims they're at fault for their own problems, that all of this helped sort of, you know, create an environment for this guy to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, that's the story the prosecution wants to tell. And, and there's all this pushback. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean... There's some witnesses on that list that when they come to testify, I don't see how they can testify to anything if they don't talk about Scientology. Well, exactly. And they're going to have to. And it's and it's just not going to be able to be separated from this. It's too intimately connected with all the players, their mindsets, and, and, and explaining themselves and their actions. There's just no other way around it. it and it's, you know, again, it's not it's not Scientology on trial. It's an individual who called himself a Scientologist, calls himself one, Masterson, committing criminal acts and using the apparatus of Scientology to his advantage as, as, as they've laid out. So it's, it, you know, so they're really, by, it's, it's almost, you know, it's like that Streisand effect thing where they draw so much attention to the problem that, Everybody becomes much, much, much more interested in it than they would have otherwise. You know? Well, I can tell you, sitting in the back row with the journalists, the first four days, I was, I there was just me and maybe one or two others because they had limited space because of the jurors. But uh, today, after they seated a jury, they got rid of the extra jurors. Now there's plenty of room. Now all the other reporters, twenty to thirty of them in the back row, and I can tell you, talking to these folks, that's all they want to hear is mm-hmm. oh, okay a celebrities accused of raping some women but you know oh they mentioned scientology scribble 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 you know yeah. I mean, that's yeah. why everyone's there we want this is what's so fascinating is that's what makes this case unusual and interesting is it's not just a celebrity accused of abusing his privilege but a scientology celebrity abusing his privilege because scientology allowed it exactly and it, and that is the that is the only way to describe this because it is it is the case i you know i i having been part of that apparatus myself i i you know it's it's very sad to me that i look back on that and i was part of that but it was awful and it enables predatory behavior like this because Danny Masterson is considered and and you laid out exactly why at the beginning of the podcast with all those connections he has this is what I've been you know I've been saying on my own shows and 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 interviews is Danny Masterson is not just Danny Masterson to Scientology it's all of his connections and their legion with him he's at the center of a huge network of influence and power and so they can't just toss him under the bus. It's 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 all this other stuff that's connected with him. And it's all tied in with Scientology because so many of those 
connections are Scientologists. Well, I hope Judge Almeida um, and Prosecutor Mueller can work out some boundaries and and you know treat this material with the you know with the with the attention it deserves. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a little concerned after today, but. But thank you, Chris. I wanted I wanted to, you know, Jane Doe once said this thing that that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with, but I'm I'm so glad that you could help us understand what she said and that it was very uh, not unusual at all for a Scientologist to use those words and uh, and for that to help describe the social situation they were in. Absolutely, yeah. With that, without question, that's not even one of those vague memories for me. This is crystal clear. It was th- this whole fraternization thing and external influences thing. This came down with an iron fist. It was nobody was joking around about this, and nobody could have misunderstood the message. So, um, so again, the fact that it filtered down to her so strongly, and that her and her group adopted that is no surprise and shouldn't be to anybody who understands the Scientology headspace. Well, it'll be really interesting when Lisa Marie Presley gets on the stand because she was apparently part of that group. And I hope Mueller gets to ask her about that kind of thing. We'll see. Chris, yep. thank you so much for helping me out with this. And uh, boy, we'll probably have more Scientology terms to clear up in the future. <laughs> you bet. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye.